Welcome to the Magnify podcast. Magnify is a platform at the intersection of faith, feminism, and fashion. During these episodes, we have conversations with dynamic individuals that we hope will leave you intrigued, inspired, and informed. Pioneering is a necessary part of every industry in order to create change and progress. But in starting out on new endeavors, setbacks are bound to be part of the process. So, when we're knocked down, how do we carry on in order to lead our goals from vision to reality? In this episode, we had the privilege of speaking to Omoyemi Akarele, the founder and artistic director of Style House Files, which helps fashion brands in Nigeria. She's also the founder of Lagos Fashion Week. Her work has propelled the Nigerian fashion industry to become internationally recognized. In this episode, she spoke to us about how she went from a lawyer to a fashion pioneer, as well as the importance of resilience when facing challenges, and how she's come to realize that slow progress is as important as fast results. Let's listen in. I'm so excited to have you on Miami. I've admired you for many, many years. I think we first met in 2014, December actually. Yeah, 2014. (laughs) So six years ago um, and have been watching obviously from London all the stuff that you've been building and people that you've been inspiring. So I'm really excited to have a great conversation today. Um, So I always like to start with four questions to give people I guess, an insight into who you are, the type of conversations you like to have. So if you could have dinner with four guests from any era, who would they be and why? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I think, right, and not to sound so, what's the word? Um, not Not because this is what the conversation is about, but I've often wondered why... Mary, Mary chose the best part. And, you know, because I, I have daughters now, right? And I watch what they like and the dynamics at play between sisters and why one would rather, you know, why one was obsessed about, you know, household work and just making sure, you know, she looked after Jesus. And one was just like, you know what, this can't wait. Let me just go and sit with the sauce first. <laughs> and tap into all that i i just wish i could have an insight into what inspired that like how did you know you know and without being i'm not a spooky answer you know just something like genuinely like girl you know if if mary was black like a black girl in 2020 would be like girl i just i just thought you know i would probably never see this person again in my life and i just wanted to savor the moment just spend time and just get as much as I can, you know, versus, versus the, you know, the child who was really doing what, I don't know, because as a mom, right, I would want the child who, <laughs> who's, who's coming to help me in the kitchen, make sure there's food and, you know, just generally looking after people. So I would just want to, to just sit and get a glimpse into that mind, like why you opted to do that instead of that. And of course, why, you know, Jesus had that whole conversation about, you know, Mary choosing the best part. And, you know, I think that's one which is quite ancient and far away. Hmm. Wouldn't it be interesting to sit down, sort of, and have a conversation with 
someone like Martin Luther King, mm. but in a weird way, like instead of having the conversation about then, but having experienced that and done all that work, but it's still around today to see like <laughs> we're still here <laughs> and having some of these conversations, like just to get a glimpse into how do you feel? Like, do you feel like everything you fought for was in vain? Or do you think, wow, this is finally a crescendo of all you'd hope to achieve? Like, this is that defining moment, or this is also another one of a series of defining moments. When you're fighting for a cause or you have this this idea or ideal, idealism in your head of what of what a situation should be or what, what life should be, right? Mm. You, must have, you must have painted like a perfect picture, even if it's not perfect, imperfect or whatever, right? To be able to compare what that was at the time with what is today and to be able to say, listen, you know, everything we've done really mattered and everything that's happening now is a reinforcement of what we've done or what we did in the past or wow, is this really ever going to change? I think the next person for me would be Amina J. Mohammed, right? Um, and I admire her. Um, just very, you know, what she's achieved, the contributions she's made, not just to her, not just to the world at large, but, you know, she started from here, from Nigeria, from her country, from her community, and um, put in the work, crafted a vision for for a better and a more inclusive um, approach to to ensuring that you know climate change, environment, and all of that is protected within Nigeria. And of course, with her appointment, subsequent appointment to to the UN and the role she's playing, it's just so inspiring to see. And then beyond that, to be able to balance everything with raising a family in in today's world as a woman you know it'll be great to sit down with i'm trying to choose you know that when you're caught up in that place between uh being a man or a woman you know i, I definitely wanted to be a woman but i'm now thinking the people who had the rules i'm thinking about are men it's so annoying like maybe the head of Africa Development Bank or World Bank or IFC, those kind of people that can create like real change for for the creative and cultural industries in Africa. Like, I feel like there's so many initiatives going on, you know, either crossover between the United Nations, all sorts of agencies, multilateral development, everybody coming up with something every day, right? How about all of you sit down in a room? Okay. So can I cheat? So yes. do you think I can handpick those kind of people, like five of those people? Like, do you know that this is what you're doing? Which is pretty much the same thing as this person is doing. And <laughs> similar to what this person is doing. This person is doing. I can send you names, the names of the leaders of those institutions. But can you all, let's just have a sit down, right? And pull resources together. Because you, your heart is in the right place and we really appreciate what you're doing. But don't you think it will make a stronger impact if we put all that money in a fund or something? And there's so many, you know, and 
this is the continent. This is the strategy. Create jobs, you know, create rural, urban, you know, um, migration, employment for youth, um, empower women, you, you know, ensure that, you know, the creative, creative talents have a, have a commercial sort of like outlet for the work they do so that, you know, the, if, they, if the designers are paid for the work they do, they empower everybody within the value chain, you know, retail, the farmers, you know, just that kind of holistic conversation would be great. Amazing. Um, so what's an unusual fact about you that people might not be aware of? That um, I'm very shy. I'm an introvert, uh, but an introvert that can function, if that makes sense. So yeah. I'm not a like a hundred percent. Oh wow, you know. But um, I'm really, 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 really shy, and I'd rather rather be indoors all day in my room and not even come out and do anything. And then finally, um, particularly with all the hats that you're wearing, how do you switch off and relax? Hmm, good question. I think for me, initially, b- before now, before the season, I would say sleep. I'm such a sleeper and I could just sleep. But I think in the last one year, almost a year, my dad passed in October. Oh. And... And I guess, you know, adjusting to my new normal and, of course, getting past that. And, you know, you know, found my rhythm and all of a sudden COVID happened. <laughs> and, you know, so, so I, I, I really don't think I would say sleep anymore. So how do I switch up now? I guess it's, um, it's always been time with the family. So that still works you know, switch off all social media and, you know, just take my time, time out. Um, I also enjoy writing, you know, just expressing and being more mindful of what I'm grateful for. But in the last year, honestly, praise, worship, meditation, and just, you know, being more mindful that really, really Jesus is everything. And babe, not just because I'm talking to you, not <laughs> because... I know that without a shadow of doubt, it's by his grace and his mercies that we're not consumed, honestly. It's, it's just that, yeah. Um, so I always like to go back into people's childhoods because I think often our experiences um, and values that were instilled in us really make a difference to who we are today. So what was your childhood like? And what would you say were some of the things that were instilled in you um, that have really stuck with you? Okay, so um, I come from a family of seven, seven children. <laughs> so I'm the second child and second child, second girl, five girls and two boys. So that's a large, um, that's a large family, right? <laughs> <laughs> Given I'm only one of two, definitely. <laughs> oh, wow. One of two. Yeah. And there's seven years between us. So I feel like both of us at different times it felt like being an only child oh wow that's so interesting so um so imagine what that was like seven children um five girls two boys and they were so involved you know like made everyone feel special so we're very close-knit super 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 close family and um we've 
we've um yeah so that's how we were brought up to sort of do everything together my parents were really quite mindful of that seven children the parents were like oh you know can we go sleep over like sleep over where <laughs> you have each other play you know so we were constantly around each other we lived together loved it you know even though we're a large family our parents nurtured the best in each child and trained each of us to always contribute to to always be conscious that we contribute to making the immediate world around us a better place no matter how small or little you know my dad in particular enforced that and reinforced that but listen you know no matter what the task is you have to go the extra 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 mile that you know you you give it your best and no matter what you what you do or who you come in contact with you know you have to you just have to be good you have to just treat people well and all of that you know so um i think with that at the back of my mind like so it, it, it was just natural so it wasn't like forced or instilled i don't know how to explain it it was sort of like watching them so emulating them so you when you grew up in a house where my dad would have people that he called is sociological children because everybody everybody becomes imagine you already seven children right <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad would say oh come and meet this person because he we was a civil servant and often got posted to different parts of nigeria you know to work and immediately probably there'll be people there that would that he would feel led to either support or mentor and automatically that person became a sociological child right. and became an extension of our family and I would just be like daddy you know and be like oh this 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 so we have so many so many people today that were that my my dad's sociological children <laughs> and it's so sweet because you know that's just how he was he he gave everything he had his time and all of that and when you grow up around that you have no choice but to be like that to be so humble so i know without a shadow of doubt that you know i'm a combination of all of that upbringing you know the i don't know that i don't know what to call it today but i, I know um and i think the reason what you said is so interesting is now looking at what you're doing and just firstly the desire to make such a difference with people in fashion like this the wider creative industries it makes sense um which is why i always love the question to look at the type of family that you were part of and how that's i guess as you were saying it's kind of by osmosis you've picked up so much of that yeah def- definitely Definitely. Um, so my next question is, I know obviously um, you started off your career in law, but how did you then end up into fashion and what were your first steps in the industry? So I found myself in fashion. I would say that I found myself there because I started out as a, an image consultant, right? Which, um, which at the time was pretty much about, you know, being a personal stylist and advising people on their personal image, their corporate image and professional image and somehow gravitated more to the styling side of things. Um so I might want to say that it, it's the quest for fulfillment that took me to fashion. 
but it also left me with a simple realization that in order to take my career goals and passions to the next level, I definitely had to take on more challenges and I had to be deliberate about seeking experiences that could, hmm, that could, I guess, in a way, contribute further to the overall development of the fashion industry as a whole. So, I mean, in a, in a country and a sector where this sort of career was relatively untapped, there was only so much you could do. You can't go beyond, <laughs> beyond the industry. So it was either change career at the time or contribute to ensure that the industry evolves so that you can make room for yourself and then other people. So I don't really think I deliberately set out to make an impact. I just thought, wow, is this going to be the end? Am I really going to go back to Tolaniwa Jaya and Co? And and I remember doctors famous parting words to me. Um, you know, <laughs> it wasn't very pleasant. <laughs> Was I really going to put my tail back in between my legs and go back to tell people like that? That guess what? It really didn't work, and I'm back in law. <laughs> nope. Maybe you know that was kind of like the motivation to keep going. Like, girl, <laughs> this cannot be the end. <laughs> just keep, just keep going. <laughs> so, um, yeah. um. So I think one of the reasons I was really excited to meet you is just naturally as a person, I'm always inspired by pioneers and people who are doing things um, outside of the norm. And I guess people who have that sense of imagination to believe that something that hasn't existed can come into fruition. Um, So what was the gap in the market that you saw that led you to founding Lagos Fashion and Design Week? And how did you take, I guess, your vision from an idea and a concept to reality? Oh, okay. So um, I think we've talked about how I started working as a fashion stylist and stylist and image consultant. But um, subsequently, um, as a, I became the fashion editor of True Love West Africa. And yes, indeed, we were able to make significant contributions, you know, invariably setting the scene for the future of fashion journalism, fashion styling, fashion editorials for the Nigerian fashion industry, which I dare say has created lots of rules, not only within publishing, but, you know, the wider creative community. And this remains a point of reference till now. Um, And I guess I was fulfilled at the time that this was happening. Like, oh, wow. People now really do understand that you need an editorial team to to pull off a, a fashion editorial or photo shoot or people do know that you need a whole team to be able to produce a fashion show and not just, you know, slapping some things together. And it was easy to just sit down and accept that and take that. But um, the feeling of being fulfilled with that was short-lived because I discovered again that the industry was lacking in fundamental areas such as capacity building, skills development, that unified platform for talent discovery, retail, manufacturing, and so much more that I believe has the potential to create sort of millions of jobs for Nigeria's rapidly, Nigeria's um, rapidly growing, rapidly increasing unemployed use. So I further realized that for me to succeed, you know, career-wise in the industry, I also have to be part of a structure and be willing to be to put down that structure, contribute to putting down that structure if need be, 
to sort of give the industry that push, give the industry a voice, position it for growth on the Nigerian, you know, within the Nigerian industry. And, you know, that, that brought me and, uh, you know, a group of people that were, were advising, you know, to some sort of crossroads. So what do you do first? Do you want to concentrate on creating education for the industry or do you want to, you know, go straight into like a fashion week platform? You know, it was like a chicken or egg situation. You look around and you see and ask yourself, what is missing? And everything is missing. And then you <laughs> ask, where do you, where do you want to start? So um, it, it, fashion week seemed like the easiest way to start because I thought, oh, well, I know there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of creativity, you know, let's show the world that. Let's bring the people together and let them see the talent in one room. But it's got to have purpose. It's got to have meaning. It's got to be driven by something more than just showcasing them, you know. So, and that's what we did with Vegas Fashion Week. We're not there yet. There's still so much to do. Because now that we've been able to sort of create that, you know, show the connection between maybe like our culture, heritage, and to be able to tap into the pool of creativity that exists on the continent. In creating that, we've created a huge gaping hole with the infrastructure and structure that you need to back up that creativity, right? So it now feels like we're playing catch up, like, okay, you know, we've now empowered the 1%, but for that 1% to be able to take off, and that 1% feels like a billion people, but to be able to empower that 1%, you need 99% sort of, which cuts across funding, infrastructure, manufacturing, retail, technology, all sorts of things, to be able to empower that creativity. That's what we've done and what we're trying to do to position fashion as a viable business and a valuable contributor to Nigeria's growing economy. However, the success of the Nigerian fashion industry is hinged on creating that seamless flow across fashion value chain, right from agriculture to textiles, design, manufacturing, retail, marketing, consumers, and so much more. So when you think about that, you know, it's a bit draining because we haven't even scratched the surface. Wow. So um, kind of leading on from that, I guess my question as a visionary, how do you I guess, encourage yourself along the journey because I think that's what obviously makes you different to say the average person in fashion is that you are looking at where things could be, whereas someone else will look at what you've achieved over the last 10 years and be like, wow. Whereas for you, it's probably, as you, as you said, you're only scratching the surface of where you believe this can go. How do you, I guess, learn to celebrate the wins along the way? I think that's where that gratitude journal comes from. You know, that, you know, being able to, every now and then be thankful for incremental incremental stages of growth. When we started, for example, I think in Nigeria, there was only Temple Muse, if I remember correctly. Most stores only sold clothes that came in boots or the back of a truck from outside Nigeria that was probably bought from sale. Just, just, um, you know, and Temple Muse existed. And I think they probably were the first um, standalone multi-concept store that supported brands. And fast forward 10 years, there, there are more. You know, there's Alara, there's um, 
there are quite a few more. And for me, that's, that's a sign of growth. Um, when we started, there were quite just a little sprinkling of stylists. And fast forward today, they, I can't count photographers as well. The industry is evolved from that you know there's a com- there's a sense of community that photographers to choose from stylists makeup artists hairstylists you know so many things that didn't really exist the way we know it today and you can only and when you think about how many jobs that that that, that creates or how many incomes that's generated you, you you don't have a choice but to be thankful so we might not be where we want to be but i'm mindful enough to stop every now and then and just say, mm, we still have a long way to go, but, um, <laughs> but we're not, but at least we've moved, you know, <laughs> we've been asking ourselves, okay, you know, what are we doing right or wrong? And all of a sudden there's this whole uproar, like, wow, we want to be more direct to customer. We've been direct to customer wow, we only want to, you know, designers to present like one or two seasons a year. We've been presenting designers one or two seasons a year. We want to mix, you know, um, the shows so that it's the mixed shows, not just women's wear and men's wear separately. We've been mixing, you know. So sometimes, so this season, it's been quite interesting to see and, you know, tell yourself that maybe there were some decisions, even though it was we were hindered by our environment and we couldn't go beyond that because clearly there's no way we could tell designers to produce four collections a year if we're still struggling to sell one or yeah. two, you know? <laughs> so, but maybe in a way, that's what we're supposed to do, you know? That's we're supposed to grow at that pace. So instead of being so hard on ourselves, like, oh, we want this, we want that, we want the designers in 300 shops, maybe we should focus on where they are today and strengthening their capacity to produce and ensuring that they can meet the demands of their immediate environment and then expanding gradually at a pace that their businesses can accommodate financially. What three things have you learned about resilience along your journey of pioneering something new? Okay, first things first, I've realised that resilience is not something you can achieve on your own, you need a strong support system around you. Because I promise you, there's so many times I've wanted to give up. So, so many times. So I'm not even going to say, oh, I did this. I just kept going. No, I have a very strong support system. I mean, it's, um, I don't even know. (laughs) It's, it's, it's just, you know, my, my family's been just, super oh i mean so every every time i've wanted to give up my husband in particular has always been just like there like wow i don't think you can give up how about doing it this way or doing it that way because trust me it's it hasn't been easy from i mean lagos fashion week started in 2011 but the idea started in 2008 and there were times I wanted to give up before it even became reality. <laughs> it's that bad. So when people are thinking about the 10 years, I want to tell them about the three years before the first year started that there were so many times on that journey to launching this Lagos Factory that people see more of that I wanted to quit. But having a strong support system, number one, two, realizing your source 
I think it's the other way around, I guess. First things first, realizing where your source comes from, mm-hmm. you know. So whether it's consciously or subconsciously, faith is so important. Faith is, faith, it's, it's incredible because um, there's so many things you can do, but if you don't have that faith, if you have faith in God, right, that you cannot see, right, and you've learned to anchor your whole life and your existence on that, which you do not see, but you believe in, right? Then when you have an idea that you think might work, that you don't, a dream that's so much bigger than yourself, because every time you go to bed, you, it's almost like you, you, there's a snigger from yourself, like, okay, girl, hmm. <laughs> but you wake up, you know, what, keeps you going is the faith in that and when you combine that with having an excellent support system people who believe in you you know i mean i cannot trivialize this i had a i tell people all the time that my husband married a lawyer <laughs> and then, imagine if my parents were in shock that i left my career in law he met a lawyer and then she marries her and she wakes up one day, quits her job and says, mm, actually, <laughs> you know, this is what I want to do. And having someone like that to support you through the face of not having a job, not doing anything, and just, you know, through that process of self-discovery. And just as things are beginning to settle a bit and income is coming in, then she wakes up one day and says, hmm, actually, hmm, I think we should go in this direction. <laughs> so, so having that, so, and then you get there and you're stuck in that dream for three years because you thought it would, there would be an instant, uh, what's the word, metamorphosis between where you are and this next dream. And then it takes you from day one, two, three, 365 days around the clock. Another year starts and this dream hasn't come, but you spent money, invested money, doing all sorts of things. And the third thing I would say from my experience is I don't think resilience is a destination, right? I think it's a state of being. But I think, I think it's a journey. And when you realize that, that you're on a journey somewhere, right? And it doesn't have to happen and materialize in the physical today. I think you draw strength from that, right? Mm-hmm. And you're kind to yourself. You're kind to yourself to remind yourself to enjoy the process because it's not always going to be that way. I mean, when I think of how I started my career and the first six months, everything I did was for free. Six months, probably one year for free, you know? So it's a journey. Be kind to yourself. And it's a step. You you have to sort of like appreciate where you are on the way to where you're going, which is a final destination. And... I guess we all hope and pray that we get there, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, so I have two final questions before I just move on to faith. Um, so I recently heard a statement that pressure is a privilege um, and I'm still kind of deciding <laughs> what I think about that. 
Um, but what pressure, I guess when you're the figurehead of something and you are carrying that, it is a responsibility, but a privilege that you're opening up Nigeria, not just within Nigeria, but you're changing perceptions elsewhere. How have you dealt with the pressure of leading what you do? I think what I've recognized in you as well is you're not just carrying this mission in Nigeria, is outside of Nigeria on a global stage now, you're seen as such a voice. Um, and I guess a spokesperson for the Nigerian fashion industry as a whole, how do you deal with that pressure? I think the easiest way to answer that is I don't really take myself too seriously. I never have. And I guess um, I don't even, I don't even, I don't see it that way. I guess the weight of having to deal with the fact that there's still so much more work we have to do. You can't even enjoy that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is why I'm, when you go back home and realize that, hmm, how many shops do you have? Hmm, the designers can't even produce. Hmm. You, don't, you can't even tell people accurately this is how much money the industry has contributed to the economy in 2020. You know, there's still so much me think that. I don't think I can ever get to that place where I feel hmm, let's, let's do this, you know? I think, I think it, it helps keep you in check, knowing that there's still so much to do. And I don't see it as pressure. I don't see it as like a position that you have to perform or mm-hmm. be a certain kind of way. I'm always, I mean, I guess having children also helps that it's important you're true to who you are and just be yourself. So it's always been easy for me to to do that, you know, to switch off and just be back to my reality. What exactly is going on? This is what's going on. (laughs) We have so much work to do and I don't really take that on. I don't take it on. I just, I just try to always go back to the drawing board. I believe in writing things down. What are you trying to achieve? You know, and I think the Bible also reinforces that, you know, make the vision, make it plain, make it simple so that anyone who comes along can read it and they can run with it. You know, so I guess being mindful of the fact that, um, of the fact that maybe we're not, not there yet, that ultimate place of, you know, the vision really coming to fruition. So, so pressure, I, I don't feel pressure to perform. I just, I feel pressure to deliver on our set goals and expectations and obligations for the season. That's, that's how I'm able to deal with this. Like, you know, what are we trying to achieve this season? And my final question on pioneering is, has failure ever been something that you've been scared of? And how have you navigated moments um, when maybe you felt like you failed? And I guess the context to asking that is when I ask a lot of people who say, oh, I've got an idea, but I'm too scared to start. Often the reason I hear is because I'm worried that it will fail and that people will think that I'm somehow a failure because what I've done has not worked out. So has that ever been something that you've, I guess, wrestled with um, and in moments when that has happened, maybe even just on a small scale, how have you dealt with that? Um, always, you know, often. I sh- you remember I shared with you at the beginning that, oh, you know, with each phase of my restlessness, I think my restlessness is spurred on by the fear of failure. If that makes sense. Like leaving a career in law and then coming to fashion and, okay, image consulting, ah, nobody's paying you. You have to. <laughs> you can't go back home. What are you going to do? You know, okay, go back to the drawing board. 
connect the dots, you know? So I think definitely it's, it lingers at the back of, of one's mind. But the one thing is I've never been afraid to go back to the drawing board, like stopping completely and asking yourself, what are we trying to achieve and what are we trying to say this season? But the way we do, or I keep, one keeps moving on is to be able to look fear in the, in the eyes and, and, uh, or in the face and to be able to just keep going despite that sinking feeling at the bottom of your tummy, like, wow, is this going to work or not? And I think that's where everything else comes to play, resilience, faith, um, not being hard on yourself, go back to the drawing board, take a break, you know? So it's, it's going on despite that sinking feeling in your tummy, like, is it going to work? Yeah, okay. If it doesn't, next. If it does, fine, we keep going, you know? But, you know, you have to be confident. You have to find the strength. You have to find the courage to keep going, to keep going, and to keep going. So, yeah. I love that. Um, and my final question, so you've kind of talked about it in different points, and it obviously links so much of your journey and the core of your life. But what does faith mean to you on a day-to-day basis, and how has it helped you in your journey over the last 11 years? Wow, I think first things first, I guess my life is a byproduct of faith, you know? My husband says this all the time when I start whinging, which is why you need good support system around <laughs> you and people that can kick you. It's like, really? When I'm moaning, this is not working. It's like, really? When you went to do that image consulting course with, you know, our first child, I was pregnant then, with our first child in my belly, it's like, did you really think you were going to end up here? So I guess that's the fundamental thing for me that really this is a byproduct. I'm a child of faith. Forget it. You know, it was the only reason why we're here today is because we dared to dream. And we dared to dream because, you know, you have that faith knowing that there's a higher being, you know, that our lives, that my life is in God, that the very essence of who I am is, is linked to my belief that Jesus Christ really did come to this world to, to die for our sins so that I can be here today, a child of grace, and, not, and we're not here slaughtering rams and one thing after the other. You know, you just, <laughs> I just don't have a choice but to... I call it the easier, is the easier, is the, is the, people might think it's hard, but I think it's the easiest way out. <laughs> to, honestly, because, you know, for me, it's easier for me, as hard as it is. And not because my life has been rosy. No, I can tell you so many things have not gone right in my life. Not because, you know, every prayer I've had has been answered. No, in fact, the older I get, I sometimes I'm like, ah, ah, Jesus, now nah, this thing used to be easier when I was young. Now nah, I just, I just knew that, you know, everything I've ever wanted in my life, Jesus, you know, has happened. But I don't know any other way, you know. I know every every part of my life, every single. I can't even think of one that's not. I think about my my. My dad, for example, my dad wrote a book called um, Abundance of Grace. Oh. I tell, my, dad, my dad tells everyone that, listen, 
and he wrote that book and that also helps me as well to to on to have a deeper understanding that girl the reason why i'm here today is because there's a belief or this belief in in an extraordinary god who who just really loves me you know it's not so much it's not who i am it's got nothing to do with me it's just for some reason and that's the same for all of us it's just no matter what i do or don't do he just loves me oh thank yeah. you so much omiyami i'm so so grateful for your time thanks so much for joining us for this episode don't forget to subscribe and if you know anyone who might benefit from this go ahead and share this with them also don't forget to rate and review it really helps us out see you next time